Hello, everyone. I'm Cody Gilkison, and welcome back to another episode of EXP Culture Cast, the biweekly podcast about what makes us us. We are EXP's official diversity, equity, and inclusion podcast, and we talk about just all kinds of different topics. And today, we're talking about something that is very important that we discuss that we have not yet. Um, this is episode 15 on domestic violence. And today, we have a, a very special guest with us. We have Rizwana Afzali, who is the co-founder of My Sister's Haven. Hi, Riz. You want to tell people about yourself a little bit? Yeah, so my name is Rizwana Afzali. We came to this country in the late 80s as refugees. So, you know, coming in this country, we had to adapt to certain things. Um, you know, going into our culture of South Asian, not everyone does that, but abuse is definitely common in some of the households, you know, growing up. Now, I personally haven't dealt directly with abuse, but I've seen it. And I think that causes a lot of trauma. And so with my sister's Haven, our CEO and the other members, they were in domestic violence situations and they wanted to create something because in Philadelphia alone, we had 12,000 uh, women call that hotline and we only have 200 beds. So we created this initiative it goes well beyond the shelter part of it, right? So, you know, like I said, just growing up, just seeing that need back then when I was five, six, seven years old in this country, I think it's something that is not talked about enough, right? It's swept under the rug. So we wanted to do something, we wanted to make a difference, make an impact in the community, because when we empower the women, we empower the communities, right? And we also know, of course, that men deal with this as well. Um, I know with our initiative, we're starting off with the women first. And then, you know, hopefully as we grow, we might take on that initiative for the men. But it's really important that, you know, we recognize these issues in our own communities and, you know, around the world, really. And, you know, put a stop to that, because if you don't, it'll create that generational abuse going forward in the families, you know, unless someone takes a stand and says, you know, it's time to stop. Yeah, that's that's so true and it's so potent and so powerful. And I love this message of allyship as well, because, you know, the the group's uh, CEO and COO that you were talking about were survivors, but you yourself are not. Can you talk about your experience? And I know that you had told me that you witnessed domestic violence. And what's that what's that experience like? So it's like I said, it's really culture. It's not faith, because if people went mm -hmm. by faith, you wouldn't, you know, hurt you know, someone ever, right? Because this is someone that's supposed to be precious in your life. So in my family growing up, especially with the women, they definitely saw abuse, right? And it wasn't just physical abuse. It was emotional abuse. It was, you're not good enough. You're going to be nothing without me. You're not going to survive without me, right? What are you going to do, um, you know, with these kids if I leave? Or, you know, if you try to leave me, you can't leave. So it was always like being in a prison, seeing these women in my family you know go through that was definitely hard but it wasn't just the marital relationship right right it also went into child abuse as well right and that was you know a big thing it was not just okay let's slap them on the butt right or let's mm -hmm. slap them on the hand this was like full-on you know abuse on the kids like i said my mom and dad stopped with that with us we didn't endure that but we saw other you know, family members do that to their kids. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think growing up that became, okay, if I'm a perfect kid, if I do everything, if I do good for others, then I will not get that abuse, right? So then you grow up in this phase of, let me help everyone that I can, 
so then I don't get that abuse, right? And you don't yeah. think about it, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm a strong person and I'm like independent, you know what I mean? I don't need to heal. But if you think about it, why are you the way you are? There's something that happened. We all have trauma, right? And there's so many people that have it worse than others, right? But the thing is, we can't discount like my trauma from your trauma, right? But that trauma made us who we are. And either you go out there and make a difference so it doesn't happen to other kids, other moms, other dads, mm. or, you know, you kind of are in this shell still, right? Trying to figure out like, why am I getting abused? Or why am I seeing that abuse, right? So it all starts with us. That change starts with us. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's powerful. And I think it, you know, it says a lot. Also thinking about the, the child abuse aspect is, is, is something that culturally we all have to get used to, you know, basically what we would call child abuse now, it was not that long ago when I was a kid was an accepted form of child rearing, you know, right. when I was a kid in Georgia, um, that was a, uh, something that the, the teacher could, or your, your parents could sign a form in elementary school that if you misbehaved, the principal could paddle you, right? <laughs> that it would not fly in 2023. And thank God we've come that far, but we've got so much farther to come both with child abuse and with spousal abuse, with familial abuse, with the sort of pressures we put on a child or a spouse um, that it, it, it a lot of times is cultural, but uh, you know, I think it, it spans so many different cultures that it's a, uh, it's like something that's in the zeitgeist. It's like something that exists everywhere, just in different forms. Right. Right. And in some cultures, it's the norm, you know, they're like, well, if we become physical with them, then they will listen, they will change. But then yeah. really what happens is the resentment, right? And then as you grow older as a parent, you know, you're like, why are my kids not hanging out with me? Well, you know, you did what you did, you know. Yeah. Luckily, in my family, the people who did that abuse, you know, most of them have apologized, you know, to the kids, right? Mm. And as far as the women in my family, they separated from their spouse a long time ago, you know, and some of them were still with them because they just felt like maybe they didn't have a way to get out, right? Coming into mm. this country, not speaking a word of English, like, mm. where do you go? You know what I mean? What's the resources? We didn't even know how to purchase a house until I was in my, you know, like 20s, you know, because no mm -hmm. one taught us that. Right. So we had to really kind of learn everything from like scratch almost. Right. But, you know, like having that abuse was, you know, not easy to grow up with. You know, like I said, even though like no one laid a hand on me. Right. No one really laid a hand on my brothers. Of course, we got like hit on the hand and stuff, but that's like nothing crazy. Right. Yeah. But like this is like talking about like almost beating a kid up, you know, to a point where, you know, they're crying and it's like, what do you do? Right. So like for me growing up, uh, some of these adults didn't like me because I spoke up about it. I told my mom and dad about it. Right. Like my mom mm -hmm. and dad worked multiple jobs and you know we like lived in a house with multiple families in the beginning and you know I remember I was about eight or nine years old I couldn't take it anymore the abuse was happening and I took this adult I don't know what came over me but I picked them up and I threw them on the sofa I'm like eight or nine at this point 
And I told that adult, I said, if you ever hit this child again, I'm going to call 911 on you. The next thing you know, they're calling my parents saying how disrespectful I am, you know, and how I meddled into, you know, what they were doing that they thought maybe that was right. And, you know, my mom was like, well, good for you that you did that. I'm like, okay, at least I have a, I have a supporter here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that paints a pretty vivid mental image. You know, right, <laughs> that, is, right. that is, is something that will stick with me about about the power. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, about just the power because, you know, like when is enough enough, right? And yeah. I'm like eight or nine years old and this adult is like, you know, 50 or some years old, right? So that's, that's kind of crazy. And then, of course, that family moved out, you know, within a week because I think they were like, I don't need Roswana to pick me up and throw me all over the place, <laughs> you know? I'm like, well, you're throwing the kid all over the place, so, you know, let's give you a taste of your own medicine, you know? But I, I don't know. It's like something just went off, and I'm like, you know, like enough is enough, you know? Yeah. But that adult um, did apologize later on, you know, because they also dealt with trauma, right? Their parents mm-hmm. also did the same things, even worse, you know, mm-hmm. of them growing up because they probably thought this is common. This is what we do but this is not what we do. This is not how we, you know, show love. This is not how we show discipline. You know, there's so many better ways to do so, right, yeah. than to doing that. And again, it's a cultural thing in most countries. It's not even faith-based related because if you look at all the faith, it'll tell you like, do not hurt the creation that I have created, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really important. I tell people all the time, you know, look for someone who fears God. If they fear God, they will not hurt his creation because they're going to be afraid to do that. Right. So, you know, and I know like everyone has different beliefs and things like that, but that should just be a common rule. Like don't hurt people. You know what I mean? Like, I know we have traumas. I know we have things now. I know we take it out on the people who live under our roof, but you know, you have to stop doing that, you know, because that's going to create trauma for that child, for that spouse, you know, and they're just going to live in fear. You don't want to raise, you know, a generation full of people of fear because you don't know how to handle your hang- your anger. That's exactly it. So while we're talking about this, I think it's really natural that we talk about common misconceptions about domestic violence, right? How can we work to dispel these kind of myths? What can we do to promote a more accurate, compassionate understanding of this stuff? And one of the misconceptions I want to hit on first and this is one that we hear so much is, why doesn't she just leave? Right. And the thing is that domestic violence is not just physical. It could be, you know, emotional. It could yeah. be financial. It could be, you know, psycholo- like psychology-wise. It could be sexual, too. So, you know, just making a proactive, you know, just making the general public aware of these types of domestic violence is key. Like, yeah. you're going to, you, if you see anyone, right, man or woman, they're, out the street, they don't have to have bruises for them to endure that, right? So for example, as far as the financial, the spouse could be working a great job, but you know, the other spouse, you know, just takes their money, it's in their account, they probably give them, you know, money here and there, but every penny is tracked, you know, that's obviously that's a toxic thing. But they think, oh, that person is the head of household. So I have to give all my money to them, you know? Mm. So it makes it hard when they say, why doesn't she leave? Well, she doesn't have her money. Right. And also sometimes the abuser doesn't let that person work. They're not going to let them get education. 
They're not going to get let them have opportunities anywhere. They're very right. controlling on, you know, even with social media, they look at everything that they do. They have control over their social media. They have passwords to them. They mm-hmm. can even blackmail them, for example, like sexually, like say if they take some pictures and things without them knowing. And they can say, you know, if you ever leave me, I will put all these pictures up on the Internet for the world to see. So there's a lot of blackmailing that goes on that people don't talk about when it comes sure. to these kind of things. Right. Yeah, and, and then, I think that if you step outside of something and look at it from the outside, what you're not getting is the full picture of what somebody who's been psychologically manipulated is getting, right? Their life is systematically every minute of every day molded into where this crazy reality of I have to stay or my life will be over becomes very real for them, right? Right. And especially if they have kids, right? They can say, well, I make the money. I will take your kids. You will never see your kids ever again. You know, that's another thing too, because a lot of the spouses, they stay because of their children. And it's something that, you know, I've seen growing up. The Mm -hmm. abuser says, you know, you're going to break up our family and then the kids are going to go astray. They're going to do drugs and they're going to do this and they're going to be in gangs. Like just putting the worst thoughts in the victim's mind. And they're like, you know what? I think if I break up our family, I think that's what's going to happen. No, that's not what's going to happen. What the victim is um, not realizing is it's actually giving the kids trauma. And if the kids, depending on how they are and how you know they grow up, either they will continue that abuse or they themselves will be abused because they think that's how they're going to be treated. They think that's normal. Like, okay, well, if I do something bad, then I'll get hit. Or if I do something yeah. bad, then, you know, he'll say or she'll say stuff like you're not good enough. So I have to be good enough. And that's where the perfectionist part comes in, where yeah. you become a people pleaser. Right. So we don't look at these things because as the victim, we are, you know, dealing with that own trauma. And then we think like, oh, we can't break up this family. We can't. We, I can't mess this up. Then my kids are going to be messed up and they're going to blame me. Well, you know, they're not going to blame you per se as the victim, but they might question, why didn't you leave? But they don't have, again, all the picture of what's going on. They don't know what's going on behind closed doors, right? They right. go to bed at night and then the parents, you know, they don't hash it out, right? It's really the one abuser telling the victim what it is and how it is. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's really, really hard, you know, when it comes to all of this, because again, we don't know the whole picture. And then the abuser scares the victim to a point where she's cut off from her family. She's cut off from her friends. She's cut off from everyone, you know, and it's almost like that was her choice or that was his choice, you know, to be cut off. But really it was the abuser who threatened the victim saying, you cannot talk to family. You cannot talk to friends. It's either me or them can't give ultimatum like that. You know, if someone ever tells you to choose sides, you better run as fast as possible. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That that could not be a clearer point. If somebody tells you your family's out, if you want to be with me, that's a big giant red flag. There's a lot of red flags you can see with the person. That's probably the biggest one. Right. Um, You know, sidelining your family is, is huge. You know, I, uh, I've just finished the Netflix documentary, Twin Flames Universe Escape. Have you have you seen this thing? No, so, not yet. I have so many Netflix documentaries that I'm so behind on, but I know I've heard of it. So it, I've like... It's very, you know, it, the, the only reason I bring this up, and I'm, it's not spoilers or anything like that, and it, you don't have to have seen it to understand where I'm coming from, but all of this really, it mirrors the type of mentality that a member of a cult has. 
right? Um, right. Where you're utterly and completely controlled by another person. And, you know, you don't have access to your finances. You don't have access to your family. You are stranded on an island and, and dependent on this person as a lifeline, right? Right. And for some of the people that were in this cult, it that moment took years for somebody to finally get them to see, like, you are letting these people determine the course of your life and you've had no say in it. Right. 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 And, um, and it's, it's a, it's really like, you know, setting them up for that. Right. It doesn't all start with abuse in the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. It leads up to that. Right. The love bombing, the, you know, like I'm Prince Charming. And then everyone sees that as well. And they're like, oh my gosh, you, you're so blessed with this person, you know, such an amazing person. I wish I had a person like that. No, you don't, right? Because yeah, right. behind closed doors, you don't know what they're doing. So they put this facade out there that they're the hero, right? That they rescued you from whatever life you were leading, you know? And so then that kind of becomes hard because when you do try to tell your family and friends, you're like, you're a liar, right? They like straight up tell you to your face, you're a liar. He's the best thing that's ever happened to you. What are you talking about? You're so ungrateful. I've heard that a lot with the victims. They've said that, you know, people tell me I am so ungrateful you know, he makes a six figure income and you don't have to work in your home and this and that. So the great thing about our brokerage here at eXp Realty, we actually have a nonprofit called Extend a Hand. So this is not just for natural disasters, health issues, family deaths, or divorce or emergency surgeries. They actually have a grant if you're going through domestic violence. And it's not just for agents, it's for staff as well. So, you know, if you're any part of eXp Realty, whether you're an agent, or a staff, I highly recommend that you go to Extend a Hand um, nonprofit. And we actually have an EXP group and workplace for that as well. Just fill out that form for that grant. There are resources to help you as well. So this is the thing I love about EXP Realty. We really listen to all the agents and the staff and, you know, we make these programs for you guys. So definitely take advantage of that if you're going through any kind of situation with domestic violence. But guess what? When he comes home and something is not right, say you made dinner and it's not, you know, it's a little too salty or too sweet or whatever, guess who gets the blame and guess, you know, what happens. It's not about you're blessed, right? So yeah. it's like in the beginning, you know, they are this amazing person to you and then they're kind of setting you up, you know, so you can get used to that. And then when they do behave that way, their real self, then you as the victim are like, he's going to change or she's going to change because she or he was an amazing person to me back then. Mm. I know I can get them back to what they were. I'm going to get them back to what they were. But you know what? It's my fault. I'm the one that, you know, makes them mad. I'm the one that didn't do dinner correctly, or I didn't clean the house correctly, or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's this mindset of, like, it's my fault. And that's why he's acting or that's why she's acting that way. Because yeah. it's it was on me. It was my bad. I should have been better i should have made sure this was a hundred percent right right and then I mean, it, that really feels like the product of gaslighting too it is it right. definitely is right it's the gaslighting and then you we've seen the most strong independent individual like you know that could take over the world in a sense right and then you know just stripping them down of that right? You're not good enough, right? You're nothing. You think you're all that. Everyone can do what you can do, 
right? So it's stuff like that, that puts them in that situation of, you know what, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, a good person. And then when you start telling yourself that, then your brain believes it, you know, because you're telling it, that's what you Mm -hmm. are. And then anything that you do is never good enough. And then that's why the people don't leave. They don't leave because they're like, well, I don't have skills. I'm not going to get opportunities. How am I going to survive? You know, especially with kids, like, how am I going to do all this? So that's, that's really how it gets. It's the grooming, right? It's grooming them into this person you won't even recognize anymore. So it's really important for, you know, victims to have a plan, document everything, right? Like screenshot everything, just have everything together, right? Because you might need that. You need that for everything. And I know a lot of people are scared to say, call the cops or, you know, when they go to the ambulance after a beat out, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I fell down the stairs or I tripped or whatever. No, you didn't. You have to speak out. And I think the victims think that they don't have resources, but there are a lot of resources Um, You know, you just have to reach out. And if for some reason, like us in Philadelphia, we have 200 beds, if not Philadelphia, find a different state, like find somewhere, maybe just completely move. I mean, find a way to do that. And that has to come back with building your relationships back with your friends and family. And it has to be in that manner. And I know a lot of the victims are like, I have nobody. I have no one, but there's always a hotline. There's always, there could, we can make a plan. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's hard because we don't have a lot of, you know, domestic violence shelters, uh, you know, and a lot of them, you only stay for like 30 days or so, you mm-hmm. know, like our plan for our shelter is they stay with us for a year. We give them daycare. We give them training. We even give them housing at the end. We're not talking about section eight. We give them housing that is theirs right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the one year. So we can make them independent. We do not want them to go back to their abuser. It is a big, big project because like I said, 12,000 called the hotline just in Philadelphia alone. So imagine all the other cities across the country in the United States, you know, in North America, just all over the world. Like how many victims do we have? And because we don't really know that statistics because people don't speak up. So just, you know, like when you're talking to someone, you know, just You can't look for all the signs because we're not psychiatrists, right? But it's the way they are. It's the way they talk. It's the way they behave. And you just, you just ask them like, Hey, are you okay? You can talk to me. You can trust me and just be there for that person, you know, because even though you didn't go through that abuse, maybe your childhood was not as traumatic as others, but you can be that light for them. You know, you can give them that hope. You can give them that light and you can direct them right? Like for us, we started the My Sister's Haven. We don't have a shelter yet, right? We're working on all these pieces, but we do have other organizations that we, you know, teamed up with that were like, okay, go here, go there, go here. So, you know, it's, it's not just about just one organization. You can team up with multiple organizations to kind of get the same goal. That's all we want. I love that. Everyone to team up. Right. I mean, just like how we, right. You're right. Just like how we collaborate here at EXP Realty, that collaboration needs to happen in these domestic violence organizations. It doesn't have to be a competition, right? Like my organization is not going to be better than yours. Like let's work together and see how we can build a massive organization together. Let's be allies, right? Because that's how we thrive. You're not going to do anything by yourself, right? And I've said this in our rallies, in our um, regional rallies, Um, you know, in your business, you're in this business for yourself, but you're not by yourself. So that same 
concept has to be carried with domestic violence victims, right? You're living this life and you think you're by yourself, but you're not. You're not by yourself. There's so many people that went through what you went through. They went through all of the things. And even if someone like me was not abused, we saw that abuse. And so, you know, we need to change that, right? And a true person who really cares about their community will help out, right? Get volunteers for your organization, right? Yeah. Like rally up the troops. Yeah, it, that's, that's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I just, uh, you know, we talk about the importance of breaking the silence and, um, you know, knowing the signs when we see them. I think one of the things I just wanted to, to hit on is, is, is we can, we can try and put the message and the vibe out there that if you're in any situation that you think is even remotely like this, you should always keep at least one friend or family member who's your lifeline, who you can tell the truth to, who you could go to in case of an emergency. But often that's a hard message to hear when you're in that situation. So this is my personal plea to folks to be that person for someone else, right? If you suspect something, then you need to be present as a friend, as an ally and remain present, right? We're not asking you to step in and physically stop something, but you need to create the environment with all of your friends in case something like this were to happen to them so that they know that they can come to you. I am, um, I, this is hard for me to talk about, but when my husband and I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, we had a friend who uh, would go out with us from time to time. And um, she's just a really lovely, wonderful person, right? Just a, she worked at the bank with my husband, Lee. And um, we started to notice uh, prior to one of my, one of our birthdays that once when we went out, she was a little, a little, drank a little more heavily than usual. And then another friend was like, I think she took something. And we were like, what is this? Where is this out of nowhere? And then um, it was like a, a little bit before our birthdays that um, we got a phone call that, uh, that, that she had been killed and um, her father had, had shot her on her birthday. And um, then another friend of ours who was her supervisor at work came to us with the story that uh, she had come in uh, late. Um, it was a, a number of times that she'd been late to work. And she was told, you know, we're going to have to let you go. And she, in response, rolled up her sleeves and her arms were covered in bruises. And she said, please don't, he, he'll kill me, right? And she um, had to, at that point, take that action. It was out of the manager's hands, but it was not long after that, that she was killed. And as it turns out, she was sort of raising her siblings on her own. And her father was, uh, you know, someone who was uh, an abuser of drugs and alcohol and an abuser of her and a, a, a frequent gaslighter, just not a good person, right? Someone who made her run the family, that kind of business and just went too far one day, right? 
And it's something that is never far from my mind about what if I could have seen the signs sooner? What if we could have done something, right? And, you know, in the end, it's in the past. There's nothing I can do to change it. But I learned a lot about the way I should be open to my friends so that they know they can come to me with something like this, right? If I... If I could go back and do it again, Andrea would have known that she could come to us and talk to us about this and we could have helped her. Right. right? And that's the thing, because we don't know what the signs are. You know what I mean? And they don't speak up. They don't say anything because that's probably the norm in their household mm-hmm. is is that. And they're like, you know, and then, I mean, but that manager should have taken some actions i know it was out of their hand but you know if she says something like you know he's gonna kill me you know don't fire me from this job then that should have been an open conversation like look let's go let's to counseling yeah. let's go to counseling yeah. let's let's literally like i can't do anything because i have to fire you from this job but let's go over to counseling you know they go to human resources even though you don't you're not here let's just get you some help let's get you some yeah. you know some resources and things like that right but then also it's on you know them as well but sometimes like i said the gaslighting of you're not enough you're not good enough then you know the people they don't seek the help they don't even reach out for the help because they were like if i can't do anything about my situation what is my friend going to do about my situation right, right so exactly. and then and they feel person, like it's a burden you know, yeah and with this person it was very much um she rarely got to go out and have fun on her own so when she went out and had fun on her own she put everything behind her and she was able to be herself right right So there was no indication to us that anything was going on because she was, when she was with us, experiencing the only tiny sliver of of light that she had in her life, right? Right. Um, And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes you, you know, but but I think it is important to know and ask the right questions, right? Right. If you see something off, like if you see something off in your friend, you know, just ask the question, just asking, hey, is everything okay at home? You mm-hmm. can trust me, you know, everything that we talk about, it's between us and, you know, whatever needs to happen from this conversation, you know, we're going to make it happen, right? Just that conversation right there, a couple of sentences of just saying that will help out. See, the thing is, a lot of the people, when they hear something like, he's going to kill me, they just might think, oh, he's just going to get mad at her. Mm-hmm. He might just yell at her, but they don't really take it to the next step. Like, what do you mean he's going to kill you? right? What do you mean by that? Even seeing the bruises on her arms and her wrist and things like that, they might not even put that together because they didn't experience that. So they don't even know what abuse looks like, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of just asking extra questions and just being proactive with them, you know? And the fact that she probably stayed because she was taking care of the siblings, and who knows, the siblings were probably being abused too. So she probably, if she was, was she the oldest? Yeah. So she's like, I'm going to take all the hits. I'm going to be the protector of my siblings because I don't want them to have that. I don't want them to endure that from our dad. So, you know what I mean? And then now, like, you know, she took all of that pain. She took all of that herself. But, you know, there's nothing really we can do about that, right? Because it's the past and it's happened. But what we can do is we can stop that from happening to someone else, right? right? 
Right. So that could be the awareness that story, you know, should be shared. Right. I didn't even know that about you, to be honest. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't, I don't talk about it much, but it's yeah. something that colors a lot of my experience. And it's something that, I mean, I, when I say it never goes far from my mind, I, I don't, I don't go a day without thinking about Andrea and what happened to her. Right. And, and I, you know, it's something that I have learned so much from, and that's why I tell the story so that others can learn you know, what, what it was that I missed there. You know, I, I could right. say, I said for years, you know, there were no signs for me to see, yeah. but she's 21 years old. And I knew that she was supporting her family. Right. Right. Why didn't I ask more? Right. Like, why are you right. supporting a family at 21 years old? You know, like, what is yeah. your dad doing? What is, you know, and that's another thing, you know, a lot of the children in these domestic violence relationships, they go work. And they work because they want to make the money and they want to get their mom out or their dad out of whatever situation, you mm -hmm. know, so their childhood is lost. Their childhood is yeah. completely lost. You know, they're literally have to grow up so fast. Right. And then it's done in secret. You know, these kids are like, oh, I'm going over to this person's house. Luckily, these abusers, they only check because they, they only care about themselves. Right. The narcissists, mm -hmm. they only care about themselves. They are yeah. not going to ask questions. So it's like working in secret, you know, but I know some of these children, like they pray that their father or their mother, you know, that abuser does not step into their work of place because then guess what? They're going to take their money. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, wait a minute, you're working. You need to give that money to me. Right. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's really, it's hard. It's really hard because the mom, she definitely can't work or the dad definitely can't work because they have to take care of the household. Right. If one little thing is off, if something is not cleaned, they're going to, they're going to get it that night. Right. They're going to they're going to pay for it, whether it's physical, emotional, yelling, whatever the case. So it's like, you know, it's like I don't want you to work 10 year old, but I don't have a choice. You know, we've seen 10 year olds mowing lawns. Right. Mm -hmm. we've, we've seen them doing snow removal to get 10 bucks from the neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. And things like that. So it's just a crazy situation. And we're putting our kids through that, not knowing that that that's going to build trauma for them. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a regular childhood, you know, but like I said, it's hard for a lot of victims because they just don't know where to go. They don't have the money. You know, the abuser is in control of their money. So it becomes really, really hard. But I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're going through this right now, you know, there's someone that's always willing to help. There are mm -hmm. more helpers than you know, right? What did Mr. Rogers say about, you know, when you look at the news, right? Always look for the good people. There are always like good helpers. There's always helpers around. So, you know, just like that. So we are going to spread the awareness. I know the thing that we're doing for My Sister's Haven is we actually grew our social media. I think we're at like 5,000 right now on Instagram, but we connected with so many survivors who are willing to do the story. They're willing to share their story. And if they're not comfortable on revealing who they are, then we're just going to have their voice. We can even have a voice changer for them if they want. But I think the more stories we put out there of survivorship, I think that will empower the victims, even right now, you know, to do something, to just do something, right? I know, for example, some of the um, victims, they've joined like mommy groups, right? And mm -hmm. they're very discreet about it, right? On Facebook, because, right, the abuser has control of their social media. So they don't really post a lot of like things. But what they do is they go on there, they friend people, they meet them in like real life, right? Because they're not going to put any kind of 
thing, no post or anything. Hey, I need help. I'm, right. you know, I'm going through a yeah. domestic violence situation, but they meet people in person. And you'd be surprised when you join these mommy groups or daddy groups or whatever kind of groups that when, you know, you know, they do play dates, right? So it's, it's, people are there. There are people that are willing to help you. Even if your family and friends are like, you know what, forget you, you treated me bad. You cursed me out or whatever the case, you know, you really disrespected me. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is I didn't disrespect you on purpose. He made me do it. She made me do it. So, you know what I mean? And sometimes the family and friends don't want to listen to what they have to say, but you have to build those new relationships. Go join the groups. Don't put anything out there where the abuser can see it. You know what I mean? Meet these folks in real life, you know, go out there. Right. And things like that, because if it's a play date, the abuser might not think anything of it as far as a play date. Right. But yeah. really you're trying to find a way out. You need to get a way out, you know, just make a plan, have a bag ready, have all your stuff ready, have your documentations, everything ready to go. Cause you don't know when the opportunity will come for you to leave. You know, mm -hmm. someone could be like, I can get you out of state right now. Let's go. You yeah. have your bag ready. Let's go. So you don't you don't know like how things are going to turn. And there's counseling. There's ways to do it because you don't want the abuser to be like, she kidnapped my kids. He kidnapped my kids. Right. So there's systems in place. Right. That's why we say document every single thing, the yep. screenshots, everything like when you're and it's hard to do this. Right. When someone is yelling at you like crazy voice record on your phone. Right. You don't have to video record a voice record on your phone, mm -hmm. get all that documentation together. Right. So and I know in a lot of states you have to tell them, hey, I'm recording you because it's a voice recording. But, you know, just for you, record it for you. But just get those screenshots, get all the things documented. Right. So that's how you're going to win. You know, some of these cases, they don't want the kids. They just want to hurt you because, yeah. you know, they don't want you to have the kids. It's just going to hurt you. And then they get to this mentality of. If I want to see my kids, I have to be with this abuser. And so they compromise that, you know, and then they just live a life of abuse. And that's that's not correct. That shouldn't be the way anyone should live. Yeah. And, you know, one of the misconceptions that that people who are in a domestic violence uh, situation that I've heard a number of times in my life that I can think of some people going through right now is who else is going to love me? Yep. Right. And I think that we have to help people realize that the thought of you being unlovable is a product of the psychological abuse that you have received from your spouse. Correct. Everyone is lovable. Everyone is lovable. And there's someone that's going to love you way better than this so-called abuser claims to. Right. Right. Because if someone truly loved you, they would never put a hand on you. They would never misspeak with you. They would never do anything to hurt you at all. You know, yeah. like I know, I know growing up in our culture, the women get married very young, right? That's just a cultural thing. It's not a faith thing. It's a cultural thing. My grandma got married at 13. My mom got married at 14. I broke the norm. I got married at almost 28 years old, right? Because when I turned 13 years old, I was getting all these calls, right? And in our culture, in the South Asian culture, age doesn't matter, matter apparently. Right. So my grandma was 13 and she married a 55 year old. Right. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Like I'm trying to convince her to write a book about this because that was insane. Yeah. Um, my mom was 14. She married an 18 year old. Not, not bad. Right. But still, 
at 14 no. being married, right? Yeah. Like to an 18 year old. If that was here in America, that would be like go to jail, 18 year old, right? Yeah, go correct, to jail, right. 55 year old, right? So, you know, like they didn't really have choices, right? It was just like, you're going to marry this person. And, you know, like it was not really given a choice to them at all. But what I'm saying is in our culture, the the thing with me, because I've seen the abuse with the women, with the kids, um, you know, I remember it was some 40 year old that called my house and was talking to my mom. I'm like, yeah, we want your we want your daughter's hand in marriage. And my mom's like, get out of here. Like, you're the same age as me right now. Like, we're the same yeah. age. Well, yeah. Like, no way. And then my mom told everyone who called. I don't know about your daughter. But my daughter is crazy talented. She is skilled. She's going to change the world. And I'm not going to put her through that. I'm not going to get her married. She's going to go to college. She's going to do a lot of things. I already know. And I know everyone says that about their kid, how special their kid is. But my my kid is special. Right? It really is that, yeah. You know, and, and so that was like empowering to me. I'm like, man, my mom is like awesome, right? Yeah. And even my dad like was telling people too, nope. She's not getting married at all. She she has so many things she wants to do, and I'm not. We're not going to get in her way. She's she's going to figure out who she is, what she wants to do, and then if she wants to get married, then she'll get married. You know, mm -hmm. and I know like in our religion and our culture, like we don't do dating. We don't do that. It was literally it's like it's called sit downs, right? We have the family come and we literally we interview each other right like okay what do you what do you what do you do like what, what do you do and what are you gonna do for this marriage right that's how it is and i remember that there was a lot of proposals that came to not just me all the girls in my family and um you know the question that i always asked or i said it wasn't even a question i said if you ever hit me if you ever try to gaslight me if you ever try to do anything that feels wrong I don't care if we have 10 kids, I am out, right? Mm. I'm independent. I've been working since 13 years old. I don't need anything from anyone. I can figure it out, right? And mm. that was the conversation that I had with these, you know, I guess suitors, you know? And so- You're my hero. Like, I want a t-shirt with your face on it. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that was my thing, right? And so my husband, who we've been married now 14 years and I've known him since 15, but- I told him the same thing, right? And I'm like, I think this can work. I think you and I can work, but this is my this is my thing and I'm not compromising on this, right? Said the same thing. If you ever hit me, if you ever gaslight me, if you ever do anything that feels wrong where you're trying to belittle me in any kind of way, I don't care if we have 10 kids, I am out. And he said to me, if my dad never hit my mom, you know, why would I hit you? I was like, look, there's dads that don't hit their kids, but then the kids hit the wives and the spouses. So, you know, that doesn't mean anything, what you just said right there. He's like, okay. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay. He's like, if Jesus didn't hit women, if Moses didn't hit women, if Abraham didn't hit women, if the prophet Muhammad didn't hit women, why would I hit women? And so that statement actually came from him, right? Mm -hmm. I fear God so much that I would never hurt his creation. I was like, okay. I was like, you got me a little convinced. I was like, okay, mm. we'll see how it goes. And so, you know, like I said, we've been married for 14 years. We have three kids under 12. And, you know, sometimes he sees things that I don't. He's like, hey, that person is trying to take advantage of you. You know, like, don't do that deal or don't do this or don't do that. So you have to find someone who's going to be your support all the way 100%. 
like a hundred percent. You have to do it like it's an interview. You have to interview that. You have to not ignore the red flags, right? Ask them about their childhood. Ask them about what they went through. Like you have to have these deep conversations because you're going to build a life with this person. You know, you can't have that person destroy your life, you know, for whatever the case. And if they have a lot of stuff going on, they need to go to therapy. They need to heal. Trust me. Like I'm the type of person I'm like, I'll, I'll heal myself. I'll do everything. I'm fine or whatever. But like you really need that help. I don't care what anyone says. And like, there's a lot of people that look at me like, you're so strong. You're so independent. Like, my gosh, I love how you have boundaries. I didn't have boundaries always, right? Because the people pleasing and stuff, I'm still people pleasing, right? I'm still like going above and beyond and I'm leaving myself last. I should put myself first because when I put myself first, I can get everyone else through that door with me, right? So that's that's really what it comes down to. You have to put yourself first because when you put yourself first, you can take everyone else with you, you know, whether that's your kids, your business partners, you know, like your amazing spouse, have an amazing spouse, you know, mm-hmm. don't just settle, you know, it's better to be alone than to endure that type of abuse from anyone, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So you have to really, really be picky with with that because all of us are extraordinary, whether you believe it or not, you know, we all have amazing skills. We all can do a lot of like amazing things, but if you're stuck in that abuse and he's telling you or she's telling you you're not good enough you're gonna believe that and then you're not going to go to your full potential of what you can do you know right so that's why we have the one or two percent because the one or two percent they don't care what anyone thinks they don't care because they're like i know who i am and i know what i need to do we did a class on monday um with path to icon and um, one of the speakers, Vanessa Nunez, has this I am statement. She has her chalkboard with permanent um, chalk. And, you know, it's like, I am confident. I am, you know, like this and that and this. It's like so many words of what she is. And she reads that every single day. It's on her desk front and center. Right. So we need to have that I am statement. And if you forgot who you are, remind yourself of who you are, who you used to be before this abuse, because no one deserves that type of treatment whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You know, one of the things that uh, my mother, she got a divorce from my dad when she was when when I was nine. And um, I don't know that there was violence there, but he did cheat. Right. Right. But what convinced her to get out of this relationship, which at very minimum was psychologically abusive was she had this thing in her head of who else is going to love me and my mama my mom's mom told her okay if the fairy tale romance sounds fake think about the men you know at our church and how they treat their wives and can't you find somebody that is all those things that you wish you had so they do exist, right? And now it's even more pronounced because that was 1994. That was way pre-internet. Now the internet exists and finding your somebody is so much easier than it used to be, right? Not just your somebody, but your tribe in general. We always talk about finding, as a queer person, finding your chosen family is a is a, is a, 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 a rite of passage, right? Um but it's the same kind of thing with when you're finding your spouse, right? And I think taking a lot of, of what you said about how you uh, 
quote unquote interviewed, you know, gave your ground statement of this is what it's going to be, you know, uh, is is so important and then sticking to that. Right. And it it goes back to that other misconception of staying for the kids. Right. In the long run, the kids will be happier, healthier without being witnesses to abuse. Right. Right. And that's what the, and that's what, you know, that's the gaslight of it, right? Mm-hmm. That if you leave, our kids are going to be messed up. If you leave, they're going to do drugs. They're going to join gangs. They're going to do this because you're taking away the major piece of the puzzle, right? They think they're the major piece of the puzzle because they, you know, earn financially or whatever, you know, you're not going to give them a good life. You guys are going to be poor or you're going to be this or you're going to be that. So it's just filling the head, their heads up with all these, you know, lies because no, that's not true. I know so many women who are single who have gotten out of that relationship and they're doing so much better and their abuser is still stuck where they are. They're still at their job. They're still, you know, doing whatever while she's making more than he is. Right. And things like that. So it's like, don't ever let anyone talk you out of who you are, because like I said, everyone has the potential to to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not here to survive. Right. And that's a survivorship. You being in that relationship is your survival mode. You don't want to be in that survival mode. Right. And so you build all these communities. Like, for example, I had a real estate agent and she was going through, you know, all of this stuff. And it was like, how am I going to do real estate? And I'm like, listen, I'm like, my kids and your kids are the same age. Let's do a trade off. I was like, I'll leave my kids with you three days a week. You leave your kids with me three days a week. Sundays we have off. Right. And so that three days you do real estate to your fullest. Then my three days, I do that to the fullest. So you have to, you know, collaborate with other people. Same thing with domestic violence. You find other moms, right? You find other dads, right? And you just build this village, right? What do we say about the village, right? It takes, you know, a village to raise a kid. I mean, it takes a village to get you out of that situation. So you have to build that village. Again, join the groups meet people in real life like just you know say it's a play date or whatever try try to just do that and i know it's hard especially if you don't have kids right then what do you do like how would you do in that sense still join groups just join groups and just go like he's not home 24 7 she's not home 24 7 right you can go meet up with people go get that help you're not alone You'd be surprised that when you are in these groups and it doesn't, you don't like, don't join like domestic violence group, right? Because that's going to be so obvious. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. But just join like generic groups, right? Like say you live in, I don't know, like main city, right? Main city group, right? Like, you know what I mean? Just, just find something. And then if they're not doing any kind of events, like suggest it to the admins, hey, we should do a community event or we should do this or we should do that. That's an excuse for you to get out right? And uh-huh. kind of talk to everyone else and do those events when the abuser is at work, right? right. That, yeah. way, that abuser doesn't come with you. How awkward is that? Like you're trying to talk to someone and they're right there and you're like, yeah, I yeah. can't really talk to you about what I wanted to talk to you about. So yeah, yeah. it's really and, important. You know, to this is a, 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 a pro tip, but um, you know, one of the most popular groups you can find on social media is Pokemon Go get together groups in your local oh, yeah. city. 
right? Like, if you want to meet somebody in person discreetly, there it is, right? Pokemon is. Go meetups. And it's if you're easy. not a gamer, it doesn't matter. Like, just, right. just do it. Go on YouTube and, and look at some tutorials or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, just, just do I mean, we have so many resources at our fingertips, you know what I mean? So just mm -hmm. do that. And then, you know, like, you're going to meet amazing people. And, you know, because you're asking for that. You're asking for you know someone to help you right and sometimes we can't do it by ourselves we not in this kind of situation because we just don't know where to go sometimes you know we're so stuck in our head that we're not good enough we don't even look for that help that resources and then you know and then it's going to be too late it might be too late there's so many victims that are not here with us anymore right because we just didn't know how to deal with it or ask the right questions and we honestly thought that you know, nothing was going on. We're like, oh, she's independent. That's why she's taking care of her siblings. Or she's, you know, so strong. That's why she is, you know, doing what she's doing. And a lot of times, especially in our culture, it's like, oh, this is just a test. You know what I mean? You're going to pass with colors. No, this is not a test. You know, abusing someone physically, mentally, financially, sexually, whatever the case may be, that's not a test, right? That's a test on an abuser. Like, you're you're failing miserably there, Mr. Abuser or Miss Abuser. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's not a test for us to endure, right? And I know this is said in a lot of faiths that you will not be given what you can't handle, right? You're not going to get something beyond your limit. But even though you're getting that abuse or whatever, that's not something that you're tested on. That's not your limit. That shouldn't be something that you should endure at all. So, you know, again, if you're going through this, or if anything of this sounds like, you know, something that you're going through, get help. And the thing is, a lot of women and men, they don't see that as a red flag because they're so used to that behavior and the way that they're treated, even from being little, they think that's normal. And that's what they attract because that's what they know. So when someone is really good to them, they were like, what do you want? What's your agenda? Like, it's like, no, I don't have an agenda. Like I'm right. just a nice person. I, I, I love you. And I want to make sure that you're taken care of. Right. And often that's it. You know, sometimes when we look in on these situations, we say, well, what could I offer them? How could I help? Right. Existing as a human being in a pair of ears is enough. Right. 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 And that's, that's the whole thing because it's like, you know, you see all these things going on around the world. It's like, where's humanity, right? Where, where, where are the people that care? There are people that care. It's just like the news in the news. You're not going to see good. You're going to see mostly bad. Right. So it's like, you want to create that environment, then be the good, be the good for someone else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just look for those signs. And you're not, again, you're not the psychiatrist. You're not the therapist. You're not going to always know, but just always be that open person for that person, right? Like, hey, I'm here for you. If you need to talk to me about anything, I'm all ears, right? I always tell women, um, you know, who call in, I always say we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So, you know, we're here to listen. We're here to help. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, if we can make a difference in one person's life, if we can make that change in one person's life, you know, they can sleep better at night, we can sleep better at night, but there's just so many people. And like you and I can't do that by ourselves, right? We need to have that allyship, we need to kind of rally the troops, like I said earlier, and we need to really make a difference. Because once that changes, once that, that whole perspective changes on abuse, it's going to take time. You know what I mean? But then like generation upon generation upon generation, hopefully it'll get better. Hopefully it'll be like, oh my gosh, you hit that person once, you're going to go to jail, right? Not yeah, all these yeah. loops of let me get all this documentation. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me do this. Because it's so normal right now. And a lot of people are not talking about it. 
there's not there's solutions, but it's like, where do I get those solutions? So they yeah. just feel like they're in a prison in their own household. Yeah. I'm really I'm I'm curious to see what the future holds for domestic violence statistics as it relates to the fact that millennials and Gen Z are getting married much later in life, right? And having right. children much later in life. Right. Right. Um, but we don't know where that's going to wind up, right? It could right. be a positive change. It could just open the door for some other kind of abuse. Um, right. But uh, I, I do, that's a positive step that people are considering their options. Right. Right? And that's the thing. I mean, people are getting married later in life, I feel like, because they're trying to find out who they are, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're, you know, say 10 years old, you don't know what you want to be. And even if you say, oh, I want to be a doctor or I want to be an artist or I want to be whatever, that can change, you know, mm -hmm. when you're 18. And there's so many people like I've changed careers even after 20. I think I changed my careers four or five times, right? Yeah. After 20. I, I tell everybody I have a musical theater degree. You see me using it. <laughs> right. And I have a I have a graphic design, video editing, <laughs> photography degree that I use sometimes, right? Yeah. That, you know, but I, I don't use it all the time but that's the great thing about you know this business i mean that does save me some money on graphic design don't get me wrong but that's not my full-fledged job it's real estate mm -hmm. of course so you know what i mean like you don't know what you want to be or who you are so how can you pick someone when you don't even know who you are yet right mm -hmm. so i think it's in a positive way i think people are waiting they're not they're not like getting into relationships you know immediately um, you know, going forward. But the thing is, it's like, we still have people who are like, I don't like to be alone. And they'll just go for the first person they see. Mm -hmm. And they ignore the red flags and they ignore all these things. Right. So hopefully when things get better, generation, generation, maybe you might go back to, you know, not waiting till you're 40, 50 to get married. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah. That's what we're seeing is yeah. 40 and 50. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, people, just or like you're not the right person for me don't waste my time right and yeah. that's what i was like mm -hmm. okay this is this is my thing and if you're not that then that's out i mean of course there was other conditions too because i was not just going to be home and be a housewife right and there's nothing wrong with housewives but i'm such a workaholic and that's one of my other problems with all this you know things that i've endured is like i just always want to make sure that my family is good i want to make sure community is good so i'm like let me let me work and do what i need to do maybe someday i'll chill Maybe would I stop being a people pleaser? Maybe. But at the moment, I'm like, okay, I have 12,000 women who call the hotline. We need to get to work. We need to figure out what we need to do. We need to build these homes. We need to, you know what I mean? And so the program that we have is we actually um, got together with a construction company. They're not going to charge us labor. They're just going to charge us materials. We're going to build houses for these women. Huge projects, right? I remember when we were starting this um, organization, someone was like, oh, my gosh, you're a real estate agent. You can make so much money. Just put all of them in Section 8. I'm like, are you crazy? Wow. I was like, why would I put them in Section 8? They're going to go back to their abuser. I was like, for, for us, it's not about the money whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, we are trying to get them independent. We want them to be independent and we want them to pick I mean, everyone's going to make mistakes. You're not going to pick correctly, right? right? But at least we give them that power back. We give them their power back. We give them their voice back, right? How do we do that? We train them. We give them housing. We give them daycare, right? Not right. on Section 8, right? Because that's not what we want. Because Section right. 8, again, nothing wrong with Section 8. But these women who are victims, we don't want them to go back to their abuser, right? right. We're trying and to so show them the light at the end of the rainbow. 
Yeah. Right. And Not. we want them to thrive. We want them to thrive. So, you know, like I said, it's a huge, huge uh, program that we're trying to do. And, you know, we're going to give them counseling, not just counseling for the women, but for the kids, the kids need counseling too. Because yeah. like I said, it's, it's traumatic for them as well. And we don't look at that. We don't see that the kids are being affected. We just think, okay, I'm the victim. I'm getting all the, all the stuff, but it's really affecting it. I think I read somewhere that someone who witnesses abuse has more trauma than the person who actually has abuse mm-hmm. because they feel so uh, powerless. Like, I can't do anything. And then they feel guilty. Like, I was not there for my mom. I could have protected my mom, right? I could have, you know, done something. So it's actually more traumatic sometimes for the children. So like I said, it's just something that we have to do. It's not like, like, of course, like we are going to do what we do for our family and things like that. But like, I look at my family and I'm like, I'm so blessed to have an amazing spouse that is level-headed and, you know, he just sees all these things that sometimes I don't, right? And then it's like, okay, let's collaborate. You know, all these ideas that are coming for our organization have come from the men, the good men, right? And the good women who went through, you know, whatever in their life. So it's like, you know, sometimes that abuse will either change you for the better or you continue that cycle. So, you know, we got to we gotta make the change. The kids, we always say kids are our future. But if we continue these cycles upon cycles upon cycles, our world is not going to change. We're not going to have empathy. We're, you know, humanity is kind of like, where's that humanity right now? And when you look at all the pieces, you're like, okay, there's so much abuse and we don't talk about it. So we need to change that. Yeah. Well, Rizwana, I want to thank you for joining us. This was a fantastic episode. I'm so glad we were able to have this talk. I hope this helped somebody. If we touch one person, we've done our job. Uh, For more information on My Sister's Haven, where can they go? They can go to mysistershaven.org. And then we have a donation tab. So you can either donate monthly or one time, you know, every little bit helps. But like I said, if we can structure our organization here in Pennsylvania, like the way that we're doing, maybe we can help other domestic violence organizations do the same exact thing, right? Mm -hmm. Copy the model, right? Do the model. So that's what we want to do. Like, it's not just about my sister's haven. Yes, we have 12,000 women who called the hotline, but there's other cities that have the same statistics as us or even worse. So we want to, you know, make the change. You know, it starts with one person, one organization, and then that builds a team. You know, and th- the crazy thing is the way that I met my um, CEO, who's one of my really, really good friends, she actually helped her buy a house. <laughs> she actually oh. contacted me on Facebook and she was like, hey, I'm looking for a, for a house. And so that's how we got connected like 10 years ago. And then so this was something that she's always wanted to do. So I'm so grateful for those opportunities. Right. So mm-hmm. you never know who you're going to collaborate with. You don't know who you're going to do things with. And, you know, this is something that we've been trying to do for a long time. And of course we started my sister's Haven when the pandemic happened, but that's not going to stop us. We're still going to go, we're going to do whatever we can to help whoever we can, you know? And like I said, it starts with one organization and that could be duplicated to many other organizations. It sure could. And, you know, I would encourage anybody, I myself am on the board of directors of a a similar nonprofit for LGBTQ homeless youth. And it's just something that we in the real estate industry have the power to do, right? Find your local organization that helps those that need help and just see what you can do with your spare time and your network, right? Those opportunities exist and they can be life-changing. Right. 
Um, and a lot of times, like, people ask us, like, okay, my sister's haven, is that just, like, a Muslim thing? I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's faith, no faith, you know, it's just about helping people. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, I hope people don't judge people by their covers, but I know they do because they judge me by my cover, right? But we always tell people that, you know, it's, it's here to help everyone else out. You know what I mean? And it is in our culture. It is in a lot of cultures. It's just ingrained from past generations. So we just want to, you know, make sure that everyone knows that it's not just a faith thing. We're open to everyone and anyone who needs that help. And like I said, we don't have that shelter yet. We're working on it. Hopefully we'll get that up and going, but it starts small. You know, it starts with your donations. It starts with, you know, just that support. Because like I said, we want this model to kind of be the model in other domestic violence organizations, you know, across the country. So that's really what we want to, you know, emphasize, right? So everything goes back. I don't get paid with my sister's haven. Our CEO doesn't get paid. None of our people get paid, right, right, that are on the board. So, and like I said, we're also looking for strong board members as well, because, you know, if we have people in different states, even, you know, they could possibly open up a sister haven, right? Yeah. In, in those areas. So, you know, we would love to spread this out. You know, we have a really good plan for it. Uh, you know, we just are looking for that support from everyone. And like I said, like, you don't have to be in an abusive relationship or endure abuse in your past to, you know, care about the victims, right? Absolutely. Once again, once again, it's the, you know, when we build up people in general, we build communities. So that's what we are striving for. And I hope that, uh, like I said, if you're going through something, if there's any red flags, right, if they threaten your pets, or they threaten anything, or they, you know, try to take things away from you, right, that's rightfully yours, those are all major red flags. Don't Mm -hmm. compromise. Do not compromise on that, because that is your right to have those things. And no one should take anything away from you, especially your power. Don't let them take your power away. Couldn't have said it better myself. With that, we'll leave the episode. Thank you, everybody, for watching with us. And stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks, Riz. You're welcome. Hopefully that was good. (laughs)